real estate and they see money sign. That to me is not at all the case. Uh, I see real estate and I see an immense amount of risk. Hey, it's JP. Hi, it's Excel. And you're listening to Terry Shower on the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. I'm here with David Gans from Westmount Capital. And we uh, did a previous episode with David where he kind of took us through some of the common myths that are around creative financing and private lending. Today, I want to get a little bit more from David in terms of, you know, his own story, your own trajectory of, of how it's been for you navigating this world. And maybe you could also tell us a little bit more, um, you know, specifically about Westmount Capital and then through that, we will get into how someone should be assessing a private lender. So do you want to maybe start out just by telling us like really quick, what brought you to Westmount Capital and, and what's it like, you know, what, what's your, what's your journey been, had been to get there? Yeah. So, um, we, we spoke about this in the last episode a bit, but I'll, I'll touch on it a bit. I, uh, I started when I'm 31 now, I started, uh, started in real estate when I was about 17, 18. Um, I was buying, uh, some, some single family homes and property in Hamilton, Ontario with my brother-in-law. Uh, and at that point, uh, we were buying a bunch of stuff, uh, and then sold it about after we had uh, accumulated a bunch of real estate there. And in parallel, I was working with a real estate developer in Montreal. I was retired, but he was a builder and a real estate developer. So, um, I was doing that. And then about eight, nine years ago, I, um, I, uh, joined Robbie, uh, Westmont Capital. So I, I, I've been on the, uh, I've been on the construction side of things and developer side of things. And now I'd say for the last, uh, like I said, eight, nine years, I've been on the finance side, which I, I think is the, the best for me, the best uh, side of things. And I, I have the biggest passion for it and the most uh, I, I'm, I'm very excited about every day. Like I mentioned in the last episode that every deal, it's a little jigsaw puzzle and you got to put all the pieces together and um, make it work or try and make it work at least. So I, I've been doing it for, for quite a, quite a while. And, uh, like I had also uh, mentioned in the last episode, Westmont Capital is uh, an asset-based lender, commercial asset-based lender. So uh, we lend on like multifamily units, uh, buildings, uh, industrial, commercial, all that. that We used to do a land. Now is a bit tough with the market, but uh, at one point we were doing land, construction, financing, renovation, financing, but but not for like single family homes. Um, this is for um, just commercial investment purposes. So. And uh, also, like I'd mentioned before in the last episode, we're, we're bridge lenders. So we're, we're meant to be there for six to 12 months, short term. Why would someone come to us would mainly be the, the reasoning of flexibility and speed are, are, the number one, uh, are the number one reasons for sure. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about your business model, because I find when like, you know, let's say one's trying to understand, like, how should I vet and interview a real estate agent? How should I deal with, you know, my accountant? How should I deal with a property manager? Like very often when we get into investing, it's not clear to us exactly how people make their money, what their incentives are and what their concerns might be. So maybe if you tell me a little bit about your business model, it's going to become clear for me, you know, what where what is your priority? How do you get paid? And what looks like a really great deal for you guys? So those are, those are all great questions. I'd say, so we... We run like a, a small, if you want to call it a small fund here, what that basically means is we're one of, I think, uh, maybe between 
uh, five to 15, uh, what I call legitimate private lenders in, uh, in the greater Montreal area that are lending. Uh, we're, we're not take back lenders. I, I, I think there's a term that uh, some people like to use called take back lender where they lend you money with, uh, I want to say bad intentions, uh, like maybe a higher interest rate or even a lower interest rate, knowing that you'll uh, likely default and they'll be able to take back property at a reduced uh, at a reduced price, right? We we are the complete opposite of that. So we are uh, the closest thing to like an institutional bank. We have, you know, there there is no credit committee. Uh, uh, I'm the myself and Robbie are the credit committee. The uh, the HR uh, people, the people that you call the underwriters. Um, we're 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 a team. We work together, the two of us. And I'd say that it's really important to understand who you're asking money from or who you're borrowing money from. For us, uh, we ensure that it's a viable project, that there's uh, there's uh, the, the, the individual's going to have real equity in the deal, that they have liquidity in case things go wrong. We deal with seasoned, experienced people. We we do deal with, with people who are less seasoned, who are less experienced. If the deal is right and we feel like it's well within their capacity, I, I like taking a chance on people. We've taken a chance on many of our borrowers who at the beginning had almost no real estate, maybe had done one project or two projects. We took a chance on them, asked them to bring a little bit more money to the table at the beginning, given their their lack of expertise. But for the vast majority of those people we've taken that chance on, it's paid off. They've, they've done many projects. They've become very successful. So for us, to answer your question directly, someone comes here, they ask for a loan, they're buying a building for a million dollars. Maybe we'll give them 75 to 80% loan to cost. We lend them the money, they do their project, and then they repay us they reappear, they pay us firstly monthly uh, interest payments only. And then after six months, six to 12 months, they go to a conventional bank, uh, whoever it may be, um, an institutional bank, take out a conventional loan or do a loan with CMHC if it's multifamily. And then we get repaid and then we redeploy that capital to another, uh, to another borrower. Mm-hmm. And so what happens? I've, I'm sitting on some money and I want to say, David, make me money with my money. Can anybody invest with you guys, or where does the where does the capital come from? If it's so, uh, <laughs> yeah, so the, the the answer is no. Uh, we we are not open. Uh, we we do not publicly solicit people, investors. Um, we we do not we do not accept any new investors. Um, we are a small, very closed loop fund. Only uh, friends and family with like we're like 10, 15 investors. It's a very small group of people. Uh, and quite honestly, we we mainly don't do it. I uh, well, I should say mainly. One of the reasons we don't do it is also because, like many of the reasons, uh, many of the situations that other people are in, uh, we have much more money than we can deploy. I think, thankfully, we have a lot of investors, uh, or should I say the investors we have have a lot of money and are generally either retired people, maybe they have operating businesses, and it's just a vehicle for them to return and uh, have a return on their investment, a return on their on their money. And we, we don't get enough, we don't have enough deals to to deploy all the money. Uh, I wish we did, but we don't. And I think that we could, but we're extremely careful. As I've mentioned to you in the past, we're extremely careful about who we lend our money to from a project viability standpoint, from a borrower standpoint, from an experience standpoint. There are so many, so many things we have to look at before we approve a loan. And I would go as far as saying that the Majority of loans that come across or applications that come across our desk are are non-approved. 
I think that's what keeps our default rate uh, extremely, extremely low. So we're kind of like a closed group on the back end side. Uh, we're a small team. We have a really, really small investor group. And, and that's kind of the way we want to keep it. We want to do good loans um, and get repaid. <laughs> um, all right, and so then tell me, what is an ideal deal, an ideal deal <laughs> look like to you guys? You Somebody walks, Terry walks in off the street. You've never seen me before. You have no idea who I am. And I pitch you something that you're like, yes, I want to do this. What are the things that you're looking at when Terry walks in the door? Yeah, I, I, I would say... Um... I'd say experience is the first thing. I, I think it's really important for us to have confidence that uh, the borrower will get it across the finish line. I, there are a lot of people who come here who have money, have liquidity, but they don't know anything about real estate. They are they don't have any contacts in real estate. And quite honestly, as much as people say, "Hey, listen, that guy has money. He's only asking for seventy five percent loan to value." I mean, that sounds fantastic, but if he can't get it across the finish line, it's only going to mean problems for us. You know, maybe he'll go into default and we'll take the property back or there'll be issues with payment because he doesn't understand. And I'm not here to, uh, uh, I'm, I, in my day-to-day, -day, I'm not there to kind of teach people. They, 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 they have to kind of do their own learning and then come to us and ask us for a loan. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's important that when somebody comes here, they, they have the knowledge and, and understanding of what they, they're getting themselves involved with. So, to give you an example of a deal that I would see now get excited about is and a deal actually we're doing right now is uh, it's a 24 unit in Oshalaga. The they they are have brought us the the building. It is a very dilapidated property. It, it's in need of major major work. The current owner has uh, has not done anything to the building for for a very very long time. So these individuals are going to be buying the building and and restoring it, optimizing it, and kind of. Um, I would say bringing new units to the uh, to the borough to the area of, of which they're in, which I think is great. Uh, there's a huge housing shortage, so that to me is an exciting deal. You know, like um, the building is dilapidated. The borrowers have experience in this. They have a, a solid business plan of uh, what their projected costs are going to be, what their projected rents are going to be, what their takeouts going to be. They even stress tested a bit. So if today I give an example, I mean today the rates are up, but uh, let's just use a hypothetical example. The rates are four percent. I think it's important, and I and I like to see this where uh, borrowers stress test. They say, okay, if the rates go from four to four twenty-five to four fifty, I hear the different scenarios of what my refinancing takeout will, will will look at, and I think that's really important because there are a lot of people who come to us and and say, oh, you know what, uh, the rates are four, but I think they're going to go down, or I think they're only going to go up like a little bit. I don't think that's a s smart way of looking at things because. I think you should always be prepared for the the downside. I don't think you should kind of keep it behind you and say, ah, it's never going to happen because it, it, it definitely can happen. So I think the ideal person is someone who comes with a really good business plan uh, that's well thought out, that's well detailed, that they've spent a lot of time uh, uh, analyzing, putting together, as well as like a deal like that where they feel like they're going to bring tremendous value to the property almost immediately. That's a deal that I see and I say, okay, like that's exciting to me. Let's try to... Let's try and work together. Let's try and see if we can come to an agreement. Enjoying the episode so far? Have you really been listening to the episode or has your monkey mind been taking you off in one direction or another? Our mental habits can be our biggest assets or our biggest liabilities as we pursue certain goals. For me, the biggest performance gains have always come from training my mind. In my book, Mindful Landlord, I talk about how you can train your mind and how you can apply some of these strategies to your journey in the real estate field. 
The book is available on Amazon and also on its website, mindfullandlord.com. Now I'll stop evangelizing for the power of mental training and let you get back to the show. Well, I think you kind of answered my, my next question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because maybe I'm going to pull out some some details that you didn't cover. Um, you know, you you said up front that one of the main things you look for is experience. But let's say Terry doesn't have experience and I'm going to walk into your office and still wow you. Like you're going to still be like, you know what? I feel like taking a chance on Terry. What would I have to do to put myself in a position for you to want to do business with me? I think you mentioned having a really solid business plan. Is there something else in terms of, you know, I feel like I have a good project. I have a good deal. How can I pitch to you if I don't have a, you know, a, a really long track record? Yeah. So it is uh, quite honestly, it is difficult. Uh, it's a difficult question to answer because for us, it's extremely important that whomever I present to our investors, I could stand behind. So it's really important that I can stand behind that person. And I can say, yeah, you know what? I think this person is going to get to the finish line. Uh, they know what they're doing. But like I said to you a moment ago, there are people who come here who don't have any experience, have liquidity, are very smart, and have surrounded themselves around the, around the, around the right people, but they don't have experience. I, I think if someone is that person, like I just mentioned, comes with a really solid business plan, seems very sophisticated in their understanding, their knowledge of, of real estate, even if they're not, even if they don't have, just because you don't have an experience doesn't mean you don't, you don't fully uh, understand. I mean, yes, as you go along, you make mistakes, you'll learn more and you'll become more sophisticated. But I think even on the entry level, as long as you're surrounding yourself by the right people and they're teaching you and you have a basic knowledge and understanding of what you're getting yourself involved in, you have either an investor or a financial backer or you yourself, your own money, and you could prove that to me, that's someone who I can take a chance on. We, we just had a client who actually has a huge operating business, someone who came to me and they have never bought one single building in their life, but they have a huge operating business and they're dying to get into the business and they presented to me a huge business plan, more sophisticated actually than some of the people I deal with on a regular basis. And it was a building that was small, but I, I which I wouldn't necessarily always led on, but given his operating business and how he proved to me, listen, I have this big business. I built this business by myself. Like I obviously understand the metrics of, of building a business and, and what it takes to do that. I have liquidity. I built this business plan. I want to kind of jump in on my two feet into real estate. He was somebody who I, I made an offer to, to, uh, to try and do business with. Because mm -hmm. that's an individual who I'm like, you know what? Even if something goes wrong, they've surrounded themselves by the right people. They'll pick up the phone. They'll figure it out. They're creative. They're smart. They're fast. That's the person that I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, no, thank you. That, uh, that makes it, uh, makes it clear. So I want to switch tacks a little bit and, you know, one of the questions that I like to ask on the show, it might be a little bit less adapted, you know, to you who works in-house at a, at a private lender, but we try to get at like what some of the common denominators for success and sacrifice might be. Because, you know, one of my, my pet peeves of the industry is that, you know, people with their Instagram feeds look like they're balling on day two. You know, they opened up yesterday and on day two, they're you know, not necessarily private jets, but like expensive vacations and, and, you know, all of these, these things that make it look really sexy to be in real estate. And uh, one of the questions I like to ask people who come on is what lifestyle hits maybe did you personally take or have you seen people take on the way to success? Because it's not true that 
you decide, okay, tomorrow I'm going to be a real estate investor and then the money just is pouring in and you don't have to make any sacrifices. So I wonder if you have any kind of sense from personal experience when you were an investor or one of the common threads that you see with the people who you work with, like what kind of sacrifices are people making um, for their on their lifestyle in order to get where they are? So it, it's a great question. I, I would say I, I have one uh, story or a tidbit, I guess I could share my personal experience. When I was when I was just starting out, like I said, around 18, uh, 17, 18, at that time I was starting to buy stuff with my, with my brother-in-law and it was a great experience. And right at that moment, that, that's an example actually of me not knowing one thing about real estate. And I went to, I'll never forget, I went to RBC and they gave me a loan on, a, on this house, my brother-in-law, and it was like a new experience for me. And it was great. And uh, I, I, it was kind of learned everything really fast from there. But when at that point in time, I was still in school, uh, university, and uh, I, I wanted to learn more. And uh, a lot of my friends were, like I said, lawyers, doctors, accountants, all these types of people. And they were getting, they were working at uh, these stages or internships, if you want to call them, and they were getting paid. They weren't getting paid much, but they were getting paid. Uh, they had good hours getting paid. In real estate, I found that it was really difficult to find like a mentor or someone who's like willing to give the time of day, especially someone who is like operating a huge business, development business, uh, lending business, whatever it may be. And uh, someone who I met in a, a, a job I was doing, like I was earning almost nothing just like a day-to-day -day job in school to make a little bit of money. I met them, literally, we almost bumped into each other, started talking. He was a real estate developer. I was interested in real estate and he offered me an internship. And like my friends, I thought I was going to get paid for the internship, but lo and behold, I, I was not paid. And I would say that was, you know, at that time, my parents, my friends were like, oh, what are you doing? Like, you're not getting paid and and you're, you're, you're working there like an almost like a nine to five job and you're going to school and you're not making any money. I, I could say that I did that for almost two years. I didn't get paid one dollar. I it was like a full time job. I almost I basically had full time responsibilities, but I could say hands down that was one of the best uh, experiences of my life, and it I think uh, allowed me to be where I am today. I I, I think that I'm doing okay today, and um, I'm very fortunate and and uh, to be where I am. But I think that those two years really shaped me. So I think that that was a bit of a sacrifice for me at that time. I was making no money whatsoever and in school. So it was, it was, I wouldn't say like I was struggling or anything for those two years. Thank God my, my parents were there to support me because I was really young. But I think sometimes you have to make those sacrifices and say, you know what, like, yes, I'm not getting paid, but this individual is willing to give me the time of day and teach me uh, always give me all this knowledge and ask me any question and work on things and go into meetings that I would never be privy to, privy to ever, ever at that age for sure. That I was sitting there and listening, taking notes, and so to me that was a sacrifice. But uh, I think it paid off in the end. It was, it was well worth it. Uh -huh. On a great, great answer, David. You know, actually, I think you're the first person who's come on the show to mention that. And but I think it's you're making such a great point, which is that you know sometimes these like mentorship opportunities do translate into unpaid hours, right? Or or hours where you're paid at a discounted rate or you're working entry level. You know, for a lot of people, real estate's a second career. Like, you know, I think for listening to you and, and myself also, like for me, I've been doing real estate ever since I was 19. So it's not like I had a second career that was real estate. But I think for a lot of people who start investing when they're older, 
if you're used to making a decent salary and you want to go back to doing entry level and acquiring knowledge, you're going to take a salary hit or you're going to end up like running errands for someone who is more experienced in that. And that's like definitely a hit financially. It's a hit for your ego. Um, And it's then a social hit because everybody around you is going to be like, what are you doing? You know, you're working for minimum wage or, or less than minimum wage and you're getting taken advantage of like, this is a waste of time. So I think I think that's a really but that but that ultimately, if you ask people how they manage to succeed in this industry, there will probably be a story of a year or two of, you know, running errands and doing unpaid work and like doing things that you have to do to acquire the knowledge that then translates into however many dollars later on. Yeah, I think I think it's just to add one more thing. I think it's important to for people not to get wrapped up in 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 the social media and think, uh, oh, you know, like on day two, day three, after a year, I should be driving this car or dealing with this type of stuff. I think it takes a lot of time uh, to build up that knowledge, understanding, and 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 even more so, uh, someone that I know uh, who is uh, what probably one of the most uh, successful people that I'm that I associate myself with. Uh, that individual for the first like year of his career told me. Uh, that he was hired um, to do serious work, but actually in the end, he ended up doing grunt work and exactly that. He was picking up dry cleaning. He was picking up like ballet cars. That wasn't part of his job, but he still did an insane thing. And uh, I could tell you with certainty it paid off uh, that that individual is doing quite quite well okay now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So we're just about running out of time. I have one last question for you. What do you think we should be talking about in our industry that's on nobody's radar? Oh, that's a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> and no one's talking about it. It's a really tough question to answer. I, I, I keep on I keep on referring to it and, and going back to it, but I, I think there's there's two things. I think that firstly it's the one that I've already mentioned, which is I think there's a, a lot of risk in real estate that people don't don't really uh, seem to appreciate or some people do and 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 don't talk about it. And uh, I think that's like really something that bothers me because um, the average person they see, Real estate and they see money side. That to me is not at all the case. Uh, I see real estate and I see an immense amount of risk. You're dealing with serious amounts of money. You're dealing with anything you're going to buy, even if it's a duplex, you still and you're buying it for six hundred thousand dollars. Still to come up with could be twenty percent, could be twenty five percent, could be last week. But you're not talking about a thousand dollars here. So I think that that is something that is really not spoken about that often. I I feel like what's always spoken about is how busy people are and oh, I'm so busy and I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Okay, that's wonderful. But like, rather than talking about your lo- your your wins, like what about your losses? Have you lost? Have you you had issues? Um, I, I think that's not spoken about. I think that's actually what just led me to, to realize that. I feel like whenever I'm at these forums and, uh, and, and at these uh, conferences and all these things, it's wonderful to speak to people. But I think that most people are really focused on how busy they are and on how successful they are. I think it's really important for people to focus sometimes on, well, okay, fine, that's great, and I'm happy for you, but you know, it's, it's a good question to ask. Like, what are the struggles that you had leading to where you are today, or had you had a deal recently that didn't go the way you thought it went, and what did you do to um, navigate that and get out of it? Because everyone loves to talk about uh, these great stories, but I could tell you personally, I've had many situations that have things have not even gone even close to the way that they were supposed to go. Um, and I think that that's something that people need to speak about a bit more so that people around them learn from those who have made some mistakes or just had bad luck, right? It's part of the business. 
Yeah, I think you're so, so right about that. And like, that's one of my, you know, I guess pet peeves in the industry where, you know, there's a real like lack of just realness and authenticity and vulnerability. Because I think like a lot of the time when investors get together, they like to talk about their successes. They like to talk about, you know, the things everybody's a bit competitive. You want to like talk about your wins. But um, ultimately, there's almost more to learn from the struggles and the failures and appreciating like, look, I made this mistake, like maybe don't make it or like this is how my path was difficult. And if you embark on this journey, expect that your path will be difficult as well. And I think that like, you know, that's one of the things I try to do in this show by asking those kind of um, you know, be off the beaten track questions is to kind of bring some of those things into the spotlight, because I think um, it's important that in the industry, we we do ju- not just focus on the wins, we focus on the struggles and the failures and the things from which we learned, which then allowed us to acquire the knowledge to be where we are. So yeah, I agree. I completely agree. So David, thank you so much for um, sharing your knowledge, sharing your time with our listeners. Um, how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more? Um, so yeah, thank you for for having me again. I appreciate that. The best thing to do would be to go on our website, www.wcmortgage.ca, and uh, there's all of our contact information there, and we're happy to uh, to speak to anyone that has any inquiries. Thank you so much, David. If you found this show constructive, useful, inspiring, go ahead, hit the share button, hit the like button, send it to somebody who you think could profit from this knowledge, and tune in next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a rating, leave a comment, subscribe, and share. You can find Terry at terryshower.com. Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.